time again for another episode of the Shop Notes podcast. I'm your host, Phil Huber, joined by John and Logan, the usual cast of suspects. Uh, Today is episode 153, and we're going to talk sharpening and table saws and all kinds of woodworking nonsense. I want to give a special shout out to uh, Tightbond for sponsoring today's episode. You want a glue that you can trust, and fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. Now, last week on the show, Logan, you gave a little update on your shop mm-hmm. and its progress. And there was some uh, some comments on there that I just want to bring up. Uh, okay. Daniel writes for his new 24 by 24 shop, he created a model in SketchUp and modeled mm-hmm. all the major tools, moving them around to see how they best fit. Of Ditto. course, reality in Of course, reality intervened, unexpected tools, wood storage, but the basic plan has held up for two years so far. And you did the same thing? I did, yes. I have a full SketchUp model of it, yes. Now, oddly enough, there is no SketchUp model for a 24-inch Towsley joiner. Right. So I took three of the... Four joiners put together. That's exactly what I did. Yeah, I put three (laughs) of the Grizzly joiners that are modeled in SketchUp next to each other. (laughs) Very nice. Yeah. yeah. I think last time they reorganized the shop here, um, the the magazine shop, they built a, a scale, like, floor plan with little, yes. you know, blocks to kind of move them around. And I uh, worked in a uh, – I made a little model of a DeLorean time <laughs> machine and put in there, you know. Not to scale. Fit in. Yeah. Not to scale. So <laughs> – I think you also put a block in there that said Well of Souls, too. Oh, yes. Yeah. Some good 80s movie references there. Right. You're going to have to Google those, Logan. Yeah, I will. Don't worry. It's from Uh, Indiana Jones and Raiders of the Lost Ark. So (laughs) start there. Yep. Uh, Tim writes, wisdom from my grandfather, because we had a couple of uh, aphorisms and nuggets from from the ancients there never run when you can walk never walk when you can ride and never pass up an opportunity to pee fair there you go Facts. ryan mcgregor says that the extruded aluminum thingy looks like one of the side fences on a portable miter saw stand yeah i saw that comment and i googled and i couldn't find a photo that looked close so if he has one i'd love to see it okay uh, and here's another one that we responded to also from Ian that said, isn't the bronze tool of Logan's a cabinet scraper rather than a spoke shave? Because hmm. that's and, what I was thinking too, but. Yeah. I mean, cabinet scrapers usually have a pretty short sole on that one, but that one is even shorter, which is what. And the, the handles sit below the body. Hmm. Oh, yeah, because so they're normally be a problem, like a gull winged up. Yeah. Yes. You can just yep. hold it like this with your fingertips. Maybe take a yes. photo of that, and we can put that on the show notes page. Sure. As further what's it fodder on there. So, 
And then the one that I kind of wanted to get into, because I've heard this before when I've done like setting up shop seminars, um, is uh, Stephen writes, how can you put a table saw against a wall? There are enough operations that all sides are required for access. Ripping requires access in front and rear. Crosscut tables require access from left side as well as right for longer stock or plywood. Disagree. <laughs> X gets Wrong. the square. Now I, I will. I will say why. I think I responded back to that comment. And you did, but if, I think it's healthy yeah. to have that discussion yeah. anyway. So, if I'm cross cutting something, I, I get what he's saying. Like, if you wanted to cross cut a twelve foot long piece of material in half, okay. Yes, I use a miter saw for that. If I wanted to, let's say a four by eight sheet of plywood, I wanted to cut that into a into thirds. So my first cut is going to be thirty inches. Let's just say thirty one inches. I'm going to set my fence at thirty one inches, and that excess, which is sixty some inches, is going to be on the left hand side of the saw that's not up against the wall. So, like, in my mind, I can't think of a scenario where I need to have that space on the right-hand side of the saw. Can you guys? Um, yeah, not if you I have can a think of one. Miter, miter saw, because you'd be, you know, cutting the yeah. long pieces on that. Yeah. One of the previous editors here, Brian Nelson, made the point that... You know, a lot of times cross-cut sleds are made for the left side of the saw mm -hmm. primarily. And – or you'll have like a two-sided, you know, yeah. like the big sleds or whatever. And his point was is that most of the time the larger extension on a saw is on the right-hand side. So he thought that why not have a cross-cut sled that's designed or a miter gauge in the right-hand slot – then more of your work pieces supported when you're doing long pieces. Mm -hmm. So and if you're cross, cross cutting long parts and your table saw is that tool for that, for that task, <clears throat> then having it away from the wall does make sense. But then you put yes. the left hand side up against the wall. <laughs> <laughs> Just move the wall. Yeah. Um, yeah. uh, but, I was I was thinking if you wanted if you did projects that required you to bevel the ends of long panels. Okay. I could see that because most saws now are left tilt, right? Sure. You would maybe then at that point want to do that. However, I'm going to do it with a track saw. Right. Also, I guess it would be one of those, to me, it would be one of those instances where, because uh, when I, when I had a table saw in my shop, I had it parked up against a wall too, mm -hmm. because I felt like it was the best use of space. That's how we have it in our shop. Now, granted, the two table saws that we have in there have pretty significant extension wings. They're the 52-inch, the right yeah. 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 Um, but I feel like most of the time, 
you know, it's like, what are you designing your shop for? Are you designing your shop for the work that you typically do and frequently mm -hmm. do, or are you doing it for the extremes and the outliers? You know, will there be times that you want to cross cut 12 foot lengths or your, you know, whatever, and you have to do that? Like, is that reason enough to design your whole shop around it? And I would, I would say not. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like you mentioned, we actually have three table saws in the right. shop. Oh yeah. One, one's the, the dado set up for the dado blade and all three of them, the extension, table is on against the wall and we have all kinds of you know people building in there different projects and i don't think anyone has ever needed to move it away no. from the wall yeah and granted you we do have the the wider extension but yeah regardless. but on, like on the dado saw that one's not 52 yeah. inch yeah it's only three feet it's a 36 think, yeah but, yeah and but, you know i just don't see it you know, it's, yeah, John's right. It's never been moved away from the wall. It's never been an issue. And in fact, on most of those saws, there's probably a goodly pile of accessories and whatever to the right of the fence anyway, highly yeah. indicating the fact that it hasn't been used to that capacity. Mm -hmm. I, I have on several occasions had to unpile the crap to slide the <laughs> fence far enough. <laughs> I just However, pile it up onto a yeah. smaller pile and just like that's keep right. smashing the fence over. Yeah. over so, yeah. ding, ding. It's like, all right, that's good. It's like parallel parking in a big city. You just kind of bonk, yes. bonk, and that's mm -hmm. how you know yeah. where you yeah. are. Yeah. So that's funny. Yeah. No, I think it's a good thing to think about because, you know, if you are the person that's dealing with very large panels mm -hmm. or long stock, you know, if you're doing trim work in your house and your table saw or is, is, is that tool or that's the kind of work that you do, then you need to set up for, for that long stock. And maybe that means the table saw is in the middle of the shop, but yeah. Mm -hmm. But I guess at that point, I would say that there are other tools that are probably better set up for that. You know, well, that's, you would have, that, uh, yeah, you'd have a big miter, miter saw station or a yeah. radial arm saw or something like that. Yeah. And I guess that's, that's my, my thought is I can see the potential to needing to move the saw away from the wall. I have a mobile base on my saw. It's easy to do, you know, you jack it up and roll it out. Right. Um, however, like you said, Phil, like I'm not going to put my saw in the middle of the shop just because I might at some point need it. Will I buy an oversized tool because at some point I might need it? Absolutely. Right. But, but those are um, separate well, issues altogether. Separate issues. Yes. Yes. That's a compensation issue. Um, <laughs> the, yeah, I, I think there are better tools. If I need to do that type of operation, I think there are better tools or there are ways that I can do it in my shop that are actually easier on me. Like I think, if I'm if I'm trimming a bed rail to length, I'm probably going to do that on miter saw anyways. Sure. Because you know a bed rail is generally going to be bigger, thicker stock. It's going to get a little tippy on the table saw, even if you have it on a sled. Like I just think there's better ways for me to do it. So 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. And it's not like you're breaking down rough lumber on the table saw. You know, that's no. a, you know, a hand saw, miter saw, some other radial tool kind of radial arm saw kind of operation. Yeah. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, kind of meandering off or kind of down the road on this topic. We were talking about all the crap that's usually on the extension table <laughs> that you like you have to move when you move the fence. I think there's a tip idea there for like a fence storage system because usually I just like start piling stuff up on top of the fence, like and then move yeah. it over. It's like tape measures, wrenches, pencils, you know. So make like a storage system where it like stores all that stuff. Plus extra blades go in there and. It just you know slides with the fence. Yeah, I feel like Infinity or somebody makes one, mm. like that goes on top of the fence. I know oh, yeah. somebody is making and selling um, drawers that slide in the ends of the saw stop rail on oh, the yeah. fence, mm. like they're pull out like pencil drawers from the. They're end like of eight the feet long, tube. and it's like <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't think yeah. they're that long, but <laughs> somebody yeah. did a tip on that. Yeah, yeah. My saw is still going to go up against the wall. Yeah. No, I'm not but convinced. I... Right. <laughs> yeah, mine's on a mobile base, so I just wheel mine over to the garage door and just blow out all the dust and then yep. wheel it back to the wall. Right. So mm-hmm. that's what I do. Yeah. I did. Um, so yesterday I was in the shop for a little bit in the afternoon finishing up some T111. And I measured, I have a saw I'm picking up this weekend that I'm going to send you guys a picture of when I pick it up. Stay Friday. Tomorrow I'm picking it up. Um, I pulled the old Crescent catalog dimensions for okay. this saw. I don't know what I got myself into. <laughs> like, the size of this thing and the amount of room it's going to take up is stupid. Like, I, I was standing there <laughs> with where I want it to go, and I'm like... Oh my god, this is way too big. I mean, I'm still gonna do it, but it's huge. Like, holy crap! Like, I, I under like I played with my SketchUp model and I made a box, dropped it in. I'm like, oh yeah, no, like no problem. That fits perfect. Hmm. We'll see. <laughs> I'm, I'm also will stay <laughs> to get it in the shop. I'm also going to have to cut my door from my storage area into the shop taller. Didn't think about that. It's too Just tall to fit on in the back. seven foot door. Well, yeah. I don't think I can do that to a 2,000 pound saw. Not with that kind of attitude. Oh. So. I don't know. All right. This is one of those like, oh crap moments. Remember last week when I said that, or it was a couple of weeks ago, I said my dream shop would have like big porch doors on it or a convertible dome, like some baseball mm-hmm. stadiums. Mm-hmm. That's what you should have had. Was then you could right. get like one of those Sikorsky sky crane helicopters and just kind of like lower big items Drop right it in, in there. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, originally when I started thinking about this shop years ago, years ago, um, my plan was to do double door or um, an overhead door. So I was mm-hmm. going to do like a garage door into the shop. Sure. Maybe like a roll up one. Um, but then, you know, having now planning to do a bunch of photos and stuff, I don't want to, I don't want the photos to show a garage door in it. So I'm not, I was right. going to just do sliding double doors, kind of like we have in the studio. Um, yeah. 
which is fine. I can actually, you know, easily make that those as tall as I want. So I can do 10 foot doors, which is probably what I'm going to do just because this bandsaw is eight foot tall. And then you put a skid loader on top to lift it like off the crane. eye or the, uh, the eye hook up top. Um, yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be tall. So I think, you know, 10 foot doors, I just have to make an 11 foot door. Not that big a deal. Really? Just yeah. like the, it's like the, uh, like the doors to Minas Tirith or something. It's going to be. Pretty awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so. Yep. Yeah. All right. But, you guys want to see my new tool that I got? I'm so yes. excited about this. Like I, <laughs> so this is kind of like outside my comfort zone. I mean, I've had, I've had the interest in it. And it's it's such a uh, hipster type thing that I'm not like I haven't tried to go down this path yet because it's like the hip thing to do and I just I'm like yeah well whatever um, but an upcoming project with a buddy of mine um, kind of pushed me to purchase this I got one of the um, Travishers um, from uh, Alan Williams. Okay. Okay. This thing is freaking gorgeous. Um, this is for doing um, like Windsor chair seats. So right. I tried to avoid the chair making thing for a while because it looks fun. When I was down shooting the Spokeshave article with my buddy Rusty, um, I sat in a couple of chairs. I'm like, oh my God, these are comfortable. Like it made me, and I think I've said this, it made me realize how wrong a lot of the chairs we built have been. They don't hug you like that. <laughs> like they do they not hug you. you. They don't cup you. They don't fondle you as you're sitting in them like these <laughs> chairs do. So my buddy Rusty's going to be coming up for handworks here in September. Um, he's right. going to be staying with me for the kind of half the week and then the weekend. And we're he's bringing parts so we can shoot a project on building a chair. We're actually going to be building a democratic chair. Um. And I was like, hey, Rusty, tell me what I need to order um, so we can, so I can have him here so you don't have to check a bag. You know, he can't throw this on your carry-on. He was like, well, I need a Travisher and a Scorp. So I haven't ordered the Scorp yet, but I ordered, I know Alan was out on these always because Chris Schwartz did a blog post talking about these Travishers, and it put Alan out like months. Like he quit his full-time job just to make these now and oh my god i i ha now have a block of air dried ash that has a really nice curve in it <laughs> just because i was playing with it <laughs> uh it's pretty phenomenal so i think he makes i don't know if he makes these blades or if he has them made but they're like hollow ground you see that polish on them my lord oh yeah See, I just so, imagine you getting that and then like going around to all the wood chairs in your house and just dishing them all just, out and be like, <laughs> yeah, like, you know, like those Matt Cremota chair kits I have. I'm just fixing, yeah. fixing the seats yeah, a little bit, like, giving them a little yep. bit dining, of butt cup. Dining room chairs. I'm just going to dish these out real quick. And... Yep. It's pretty awesome. So absolutely gorgeous. Made it to <clears throat> So, yeah, that was my tool gloat for the day. All right, then. You have to make sure you send a photo, then we'll put it on the, on okay. the show notes page. I don't have a nice photo of it yet. Which, well, 
I mean, show notes page probably probably won't go up till Monday anyway. So (laughs) yeah, take your time. Yeah. So speaking of handworks for the hand tool aficionados out there, there's going to be a show out in Eastern Iowa in the Amana colonies. It's a pretty big deal. Most likely you've heard about it. If you haven't, uh, I'll put a link to the site on the show notes page. Uh, It's not that far from Des Moines and the world headquarters of Woodsmith and Popular Woodworking Magazines. So if you're going to be in Iowa anyway for handworks, just get in a car and drive and we can do some tours here at Woodsmith for that event as well. That would be kind of cool to have people come out and see see what we do. So mm-hmm. and since we're coming up on the on the summer travel season, just an open invitation to Shoot us an email or call the customer service line and set up a time to come take a tour here as well. That would be that'd be fun. You could see the video studio where we do all of our YouTube videos and the TV show, photo studio. Uh, talk to the guys in the shop if you're here during the week, all that kind of stuff. So check it out. Mm-hmm. When is Handworks? Is that? Like it's September? Labor Day weekend. Oh, okay. Yep, like September 1st, 2nd, something like that? Yeah. I mean, obviously, we're not going to be here on Labor Day, so don't come Labor Day for a tour. But <laughs> like before or after would be fine. Yeah, yeah. You know, the Thursday, Friday. Um, you know, maybe we can work out somebody mm-hmm. hanging around here on Saturday if mm-hmm. that's the time that people want to come out for it. Just park your RV in the parking lot and wait yeah. for us to show up. If I get a bunch of emails or phone calls about it, you know, I'm sure we can work something to. Uh, Make sure that somebody's here for a tour. And there's usually some swag that we give people too. So there you go. Today's podcast is brought to you by Tightbond. You want a glue that you can trust. And fortunately, Tightbond has the glue you need to get the job done with confidence. From interior glues with strong initial tack and short clamp time to exterior glues with exceptional strength and water resistance, look to Tightbond, the right glue for your next project. For more information, visit tightbond.com. What else you guys got going on? Well, it's been like super nice out. So mm-hmm. did a little sawmilling this weekend afternoon yep. i don't know did a little sawmill and cut a bunch of cedar oh that's right which was yep. awesome um picked up a big cedar this weekend um it's an eastern red cedar which technically i believe is a juniper before somebody corrects me it's not a cedar it's a juniper um but it was like 27 inches solid couple of ants in it but not many just one or two holes um god i got some really nice boards cut some uh my last log of white pine Milled that. Okay. Um, I milled that in a two inch by eighteen inch stock, so that is like chair seat blanks. Hmm. Is what I did with that, and I started actually moving some of my dr- uh, lumber that has dried, air dried, into the shop. Like, do you guys ever like? I mean, it happens when I clean my shop. I find tools that I forgot I had, or like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, I bought that. I forgot. I was yeah. moving some of this or you've like, already bought another one to replace that one that you couldn't find. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. well, now I have two. Like, yeah, that's, why I I have six, I remember. Yeah, that's why I have 16 caught guns because I mm-hmm. uh, can never find them and they're like $3 a piece. Yeah. Um, but like I did this with lumber. It's like I, I knew I had it, 
But like I was moving some cherry. I'm like, oh my god, this was really nice cherry. Like, I forgot how nice it was until I started moving it. And I've learned from Phil and I moving lumber into the studio there. Uh, take 30 seconds, cut all the ends square. Because a lot of the times I'm milling a tree as it got felled, which is generally a big old notch on the end and some tear, right. tearing of the heartwood. They don't stand up on end very nicely. So I stood there. I moved. What did I move yesterday? I moved um, a log of Norway maple into the shop. That one I did cut square before I milled it. So I did that. Um, I moved some basswood that we actually milled on video. So that curvy stuff we went and milled. Uh, oh, I milled. I moved that one. Uh, some cherry and red oak. I feel like there's some longer stuff in there too. Maybe. Anyways, um, but I moved it all inside the shop, and I I take this as a sign of personal growth, and that I'm getting older. And uh, as I am standing the stuff up, I didn't want to lean it on the steel from the inside of the building because it kind of bows the steel out a little bit. And I mean, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty rigid steel, but I just didn't want all that weight leaning up against it. So I grabbed some two by sixes that I left over and was running those between posts, um, on the inside of the shop. So it's the woods all standing against the two by sixes. And my sign of personal growth was I put one at about six foot. Then I'm going to put one a little bit higher because some of those like 10 or 12 foot long, uh, pieces when you stand them up are too tall. They don't hit that two by six. So I wanted a piece at like, I don't know, eight foot, nine foot. So when I sure. stand up longer stuff, it has something to lean against. And as I'm walking around, I'm humming to myself, like, what can I stand on that I'm not going to hurt myself? <laughs> it's like <laughs> five years ago, I would have just like scaled that thing and fallen on my ass and, you know, got hurt. I'm like, now I need to find something like, I'm not going to pull my back out <laughs> as I'm standing <laughs> on it and stuff. Yep. Uh, so yep. I ended up standing it's on a five gallon bucket. Right, which I mean, that on its yeah, own I mean, is probably not the best option. However, no, you're right. That is, considering that you used to not do anything, then yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, you know I'm that you're getting that. older when you begin to think to yourself, mm -hmm. "How will I feel tomorrow when yeah. I do this right now?" Well, and I'm putting this two by six that's that tall. It's right behind the Oliver lathe that I picked up. I'm like, I could stand on the bed. I could then stand on the headstock pulley assembly, which steps down in five different <laughs> sizes. And I'm like, three years ago, probably would have done it. I'm so sore right now that I'm not doing that crap because I'm going to get hurt. <laughs> so that's uh, fair. But yeah, that's but fair. It was, it feels very nice to finally be able to start moving some lumber inside and, my yard doesn't look like such a lumber yard bone pile. Um, you know, I, I will say it, it will be nice. I have a bunch of steel left over from this shop build. Um, and I'm going to start uh -huh. covering a lot because I've never covered my lumber. I've always let it just sit out in the open. Um, it grays really bad. So like when I go to sell it, a lot of times what I'll do is I'll like take a hand plane to it to show what the color looks like. Cause I mean, these boards look like crap. Uh, it just mm -hmm. looks like something that's been laying in somebody's yard for two years, but yep. right. you take, you take this top off and it's nice. Mm -hmm. So it'd be nice to start yeah. covering something. I'll, I'll attest to that because you brought in wood for projects before and it's like, Oh, this is crap. I've, 
I'm not going to be able to use this. And then Great, you Logan, start thanks. planning it and break it down. It's like, hey, this is pretty nice stuff. Underneath yeah, the gray and it's air-dried. The... Yeah. Yeah. So. so Very nice. Mm-hmm. So now you said you cut uh, cedar. Yep. Juniper. Um, considering that Iowa isn't really known for its vast forest forests... Mm-hmm. Yep. Do you ever find like Western red cedar just because it was planted as an ornamental, you know, like we're in a weird convergent yeah. zone of, you know, you sort of get some Northern forest, you get a little bit of Southern forest and never have. Okay. It would be sweet. Um, right. But I never have. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. When I think of cedars in Iowa, I think of the little scraggly ditch trees. Which are junipers, yeah. 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 For Iowa. So it's kind of surprising to hear you, you know, found one that big. Yeah. I've had, I've seen a couple that big, like, come up on, like, Facebook Marketplace. People will be like, oh, free cedar log. And every time I find, like, a big one, I'm like, going to get it. And it's gone, like, immediately. Mm -hmm. Like, I think the guys around here with sawmills are like, oh, yeah, grabbing that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd saw that. (laughs) You know? So I, a lot of the times they are like that big. So it's like, you can't really get anything out of them. Um, this one was, we got two, I think we got two 10 foot logs out of it and a little like six or seven footer that I live edged. Um, the, the big butt logs I ended up turning into boards. So I turned them into like one by sixes. Cause I'm thinking (laughs) this is a challenge. Everybody, I think I said this to you guys. If you have made a project out of, like red cedar west or eastern red cedar juniper uh and it doesn't look tacky send it to me because i have this notion (laughs) in my head that no matter what the project is if it's made out of eastern red or aromatic cedar it looks tacky i'm sorry Mm -hmm. prove me wrong because i'm i cut all this and i'm like it's it's gorgeous stuff yeah, usually it looks good in like closet or you know trunk liners, yeah. but like a whole project out of it seems like a bit much. Yeah, yeah. Well, so. and, and that's why I cut these the one by sixes because I'm like this would make really nice like lining for like chests or drawers. Like I mean, mm-hmm. like the those panel those panels are still glued up in the photo studio. My plan is to make those drawer boxes out of cedar. Okay. Um, and I'm like that'd be cool. The, the, yeah, this is great stock for that. Um, but like whole projects made out of cedar, or I've seen a lot of people turn Eastern red cedar. I'm like, it always looks tacky. Like, Hey, 1970s called, they want their furniture for the shag carpet back. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So there it is. It's the Eastern red cedar challenge. If you have a project where Eastern red cedar is the primary material, we want to see it. Send us a photo, uh, woodsmith at woodsmith.com. And uh, maybe in the next couple of weeks, we'll select a winner and send them a prize. I think the least tacky of that. Yeah. The best a box looking of ma- mothballs. <laughs> yeah, a box of mothballs. <laughs> All right. There it is. It's a throwdown. Yeah. So what you're saying is like Eastern red cedar is like the flat sawn red oak of softwoods. Yes. Yes. Now 
I will say, one of these logs I brought in was a red oak log. It is really nice looking stuff. Like, I feel bad for hating on it so much, but I think I think we kind of get like this mentality, I do at least, um, that red oak is red oak. It's not. Like, red oak comes in a lot of different flavors, mm-hmm. right? It comes in a lot of different hues. And if you let it age in your lumber yard, it can pick up some cool color. Like, I don't think it has to be commercial red oak. I think you right. can get good-looking red oak that's interesting. But, yes, I think the 90s ruined it for me. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you did say, like, was that like a year ago that you were going to do, like, as a personal mission to rehabilitate the the standing of red oak? Yes. Yes. So, we just don't, we just don't get much around here. We have yeah. pin oaks. A lot of pin oaks. And they are technically a red oak, but they're a really fast-growing red oak. So, like, take everything everybody hates about red oak, the big cathedral grains, and make it really big and really spread out. <laughs> because that's exactly what it looks like. So, I'm saying this as I'm sitting here looking at a one-wall workshop made out of red oak. Right. Although we tried, for the most part, I think, on that one to be mostly riffs on on that, right? It is. It is yeah. all riffs on which is actually really nice. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe we'll have to do that as the follow-up challenge is the best red oak looking project. Mm-hmm. And like Peter Fallen's bee is excluded from that challenge. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. If you, if you got your red oak from riving logs, you cannot show it to us. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe you take some really nice red oak and that's what your chair is going to be. Yeah. That you're going to make. That's true. I did actually. Where did I put that? I did. I bought a fro recently too. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, and I bought it kind of because I I'm on this chair kick now. I want to be hipster like everybody else. Right. So I bought this. There was a guy that is in North Carolina. Um, one of the Facebook groups. Uh, he was selling. He had a small batch of like ten or twelve fros. Um, so I bought one, um, and he was actually, I, he, I thought he was very reasonable on his price. He was like 60 bucks a piece shipped. Um, so I bought one. I don't know where I put it though. It's somewhere. I'll find it when I clean my shop. All right. Yeah. So speaking of new tools, I finished a tool here. I'll put a photo on the show notes page, a coping saw from, uh, plan from Woodsmith that uh, Chris Fitch did. And it has a combination wood and metal frame. So there's three layers of ash and two thin layers of aluminum, as, as Mark Hopkins would say, to make the frame. And then you make uh, little blade holders and then this cool cam lever that applies tension to the blade. And then the thing, the holdup for me was the original handle. Let me uh, reach back and grab it here. That Chris designed was pretty simple, just a tapered standard knob threaded on the end, mm-hmm. um, also out of ash. And I wanted something a little, little more stylish. So I have been look, had been looking up like 
vintage tool handles of all sorts, you know, for little, cause you had a gent saw, I think a long time ago, Logan, that had a really sweet, mm -hmm. sweet profile to it. Um, yeah. that sort of thing. Um, but what I ended up using was a walnut handle based off the pattern that I used for some carving gouges and the chisels that I have. And that's a really, I think originally it was two gouges that I got from you that mm -hmm. had that pattern and I just really like it. I like it a lot. Oh yeah. And I don't remember yep. we were trying to decide where this turned version came from. If it was one that I did or one that you did, or did we do it for video or I don't know. I'm thinking it was probably a video. At some point. Yeah. Anyway, I had it in my shop and I thought, you know, it's a really comfortable design and kind of matches the look of my other tools. So I'm going to use it. And it's a pretty cool. Yeah. What surprises me is just how lightweight this is compared to, you know, like my coping saw is just kind of your standard hardware store coping saw, but yeah, this one is a, is a delight. Yeah. Well, plus you had to make a left-handed handle versus right. Chris's right-handed yeah. handle. Yeah. That's so. the thing is most of the time people don't really realize that, that my life is full of adaptation. <laughs> All right, there you go. So now we've been talking off podcast recently about sharpening on different things. Uh, you know, part of it stemmed from the fact that we have been selling the diamond stones. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know, about a year now, right? A little yeah, more? Uh, yeah, probably a little over a year, yeah. Yeah. And... What's kind of fascinating to me about diamond stones and why I wanted to bring it up is I like using oil stones mm -hmm. and we have a set of water stones here in the shop, which I'm going to say, I'm not sure how this happened, but the water stones in that tub have been in that same water for, let's call it a while. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and yet that water is not funky at all. I mean, I'm not going to drink it, but no, <laughs> I filled it up and I put a splash of bleach in it last time. I, I know, but still, okay. Yeah. That's one yeah. would have thought so that you can drink that's it. Why it's not right. fuzzy. It's not fuzzy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, but still when you put a splash of bleach in it, like that was, that's a couple of years ago. Probably. Oh yeah. That oh, water yeah. is, is original, right? That's yes. the original water. I would think that yeah. the bleach effects have worn off long since then. I don't know. I don't, I don't know. know. But I'm not a chemist. For no, all I'm the chemists to... out there, you can tell us exactly what the long-term... What the... Yeah, yeah. What's what the, the half-life half of bleach? bleach? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Maybe it gets more potent. I don't right. know. Yeah. Maybe, yeah. maybe we're maybe yeah. we're brewing bleach back there mm -hmm. in the right. with the stones in there. Yeah. Um, but anyway, where I was going with that is because we've had some of those diamond stones around here mm -hmm. is how nice it is to have a diamond stone as like a sidekick to your sharpening stones. Yeah. I use them now as my main stone. Do you? Okay. So yes. Um, because I think, I think we can all agree that water stones cut the fastest, right? 
they yeah. probably sharpen the fastest because the way water stones work is you're releasing new grit as that stone wears away. So they are, there's always a fresh edge. Oil stones are nice because they're harder. They don't cut near as fast. Um, but you don't have to have the maintenance. I feel like diamond stones are like a good blend of the two. Plus okay. they're not as messy as either water right. stones. You have to have a water bath. Oil stones, you have to have oil, and as much as I love my oil, my Eagle 88 oil can, it leaks. It leaks with temperature changes, so like if I like have it sitting in my truck, and then I bring it inside, and it goes from cold to warm, the increase in temperature and pressure will make it drip a little oil. Okay. Um, so there's always leaking oil on it. The Diamond Stones, I have, this is my entire... This is my entire sharpening set right here. So I have that one's the strop. That's my entire sharpening set, which is awesome. Yeah. Because you know, it's, it's what? Two stones, right? Two stones. Two double-sided stones. Yeah, double-sided stones. So it's like four stones, essentially. Yes. But... Yeah. I feel like but... that could fit in a sharpening fanny pack. <laughs> it could. <laughs> It could. That's a product um, idea. Right. You guys yeah. can use that. I'm going to write that <laughs> the, down. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, uh, the thing that I like about them, A, that, I mean, they, I feel like they are, you know, full disclosure, we do sell those, as Phil mentioned. Right. Um, but I like the fact that they are cleaner and they are like a good benefit of each. So they cut as fast as water stones but they don't require the maintenance. You do have to break them in correctly. Um, so the way they're manufactured is they are ground plates that are, are surface ground within, you know, like 15 thousandths of an inch or something. And then they are plated with nickel and that nickel solution has the diamonds in it. So as you are plating with nickel, the diamonds are getting attached and buried in the nickel plating. But you get some diamonds that aren't completely buried, so you have this initial crisp layer of diamonds that you have to wear off. So you got to do that correctly or else you kind of cross-contaminate your stones and you can actually scratch your finer stones with your coarser stone diamonds. Um, but once they are broken in, they cut beautifully. Um, we do sell lapping fluid with them as well. I definitely don't use Windex on those, but... That's what I use at home is Windex instead of lapping fluid. I just don't use okay. water because water will rust them. If it, if it gets down on the steel plate, it will rust the plate. So I use right. I actually use Windex um, because I always have a bottle laying around. Um, they, cut, they cut great. I love them. I mean, they also cut a little differently than stones. And that's – I do a lot of shop, sharpening seminars, sorry. So I'm always into this mode. Like a, a – <clears throat> The, the grit between types of stones are not the same. So you can't right. say an 800 grit diamond stone is the same as an 800 grit water stone. Completely not correct. Like the 1,000 grit on the diamond stone cuts about like a 4,000 grit water stone does. So a lot of people will take, will go from that 1,000 grit diamond stone and finish on a ceramic stone that right. gives you a little bit higher polish and that's completely valid 
Um, I don't, unless I'm working with something like extremely figured or if I really need a really clean end grain cut, I don't do that. Um, I stop at the thousand and then I strop it. Um, like it's hot. Like it's hot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I, I love the, I love the, the romance of oil stones. Um, you know, just, and I have, I actually picked up a couple really cool, like calico type stones that are like black and white speckled they're they're gorgeous uh i think holstein that's what they're called is Mm -hmm. oh yeah the the holstein stones right they're from wisconsin yep yeah the the great the great stone quarries of wisconsin Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah which is something i've always wanted to ask dirk or somebody from the dnr in iowa is were there or are there any quarries or stones that were used locally as sharpening stones. You would think there have to be, right? Because I mean, I I totally get that we're not going to get the Arkansas stones from you yeah. know like the Washita Mountains and you know whatever in Arkansas. I, I get that, but if you think of you know like there like practically every country had a sharpening stone. You know, like I'm not talking about the stuff that you use to just kind of you know, clean up a plowshare or something like that, but yeah. that were used for, I guess what I would call precision sharpening for knives or razors or mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. You know, cause it's like people use sharpened stuff before they discovered Arkansas, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> just not very well. Yeah, <laughs> So that would be another question for the listeners out there is finding local stones. Or is it just one of those things where you just kind of wander around, pick up a rock and be like, hey, how does this work? Mm-hmm. So. The history of sharpening. Right. And sharpening stones. There's a book to be written there. Yeah. Because I, I love my oil stones. I have the two, the white translucent Arkansas and a medium India stone. But I would love to get a, not a soft Arkansas, but you know, like something a little bit lower grit, but a little faster cutting. Cause I, I have one diamond stone that I kind of use as my starter stone. Mm-hmm. you know, for course work or to flatten the oil stones, Water stones you know, yeah, once in a blue moon. Stones, yeah. yeah. Um, so, and they're really great for that or for uh, getting a, a scraper, a card scraper started, you know, like when you got to polish off that, instead of using a file, I think a diamond stone actually works better mm-hmm. to refresh that edge and then get you ready for for rolling a new one so yeah i feel like most of the problem i have with a lot of oil stones now the oil stones i have are from dan's sweatstones danstones.com something like that um they're big ones they are like three by eights yeah. Um, which is also the same size as our diamond stones are. Um, but I feel like a lot of, if you find vintage oil stones, they're small, not smaller. They're like two inch by six inch six or two yeah. inch by eight inch. Yeah. You know, they, they're, they're narrow and long. Um, 
And for most things, I want a wider stone. Like I, I, I want to be able to sharpen my, you know, my number seven iron. That's two and five eighths inches wide. And that's, you can do it. You got to be at an angle, but I just want a little more real estate than what they can give me. Yeah. Cause I have this guy. I don't even mm. remember where it came from. That's multicolored. I think I'm pretty sure it's a natural oil stone that I use like for some small carving tools and shop knives and stuff like that. And it cuts like a dream. And it's one of those ones where I think there's the idea out there for a lot of people that every tool has to be polished and sharpened to the same degree. And I've, come to the realization that there's very there's a broad range of utility sharpening Mm -hmm. you know like what are you expecting to be the final edge and or final surface of a given workpiece and if you're expecting that off the tool then that tool needs to be as sharp as possible but if you're just you know like if you're squaring up a mortise you know that chisel does not have to see an 8,000 grit stone. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So anyway, just point being like having a, not a fine grit, cool Arkansas stone does a great job for a lot of those more utility functions. Yeah. It's funny for my turning stuff. I've actually went to CBN wheels. Um, I know a lot of guys will still use like Jimmy clues in his school. He uses the, um, aluminum oxide wheels, like 60 or 80 grit wheels, sharpen all the tools yeah. down there. Um, and I, he does that cause he has students in there and you can, you can damage the CBN wheels pretty quickly, I think. Um, but I went to CBN and I'm looking at my grinder right now. Um, I did a 180 and it's 220 uh-huh. on those and CBN is a little bit different than diamond. It's uh, cubic boron nit- nitride, I think. Um, and uh, they cut like diamond stones do, um, but they're just so fast. And what I like about them is that they run super true on the grinder and they don't heat the metal up nearly as much. I mean, you can still blue steel on there, which doesn't hurt most turning tools, but... Um, they run much cooler. Like if I, if I'm in the shop turning there, we have the white, um, white wheels on our Rikon grinder back there. And if I sharpen a scraper, I'm not touching the tip of that thing for, you know, at least 15 minutes. Cause it's hot. Right. Uh, and these do not. Hmm. That's cool. Yeah. Now on the flip side, you also don't get sparks off of these which Mm. is is good in some instances but it's also bad in some instances because some gouges you know bowl gouge spindle gouge roughing gouge when you're sharpening you know you've sharpened right up to the tip when the sparks start coming down into the flute instead of going underneath it right so sometimes it's a little telling not having or it's you know it's telling having the sparks but not having them so it's like eh, i wish i wish i could see where i sharpened yeah. And I know that we replaced the Tormek wheel in our shop with a CBN wheel, which I thought was kind of crazy. Mm-hmm. But 
then you don't have to deal with making sure that you drain the water bath so you don't have a overly soaked wheel kind of a thing so yeah 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 now do you fill hollow grind your tools first uh i've started so to because most of the time it's a little quicker for me to be able to get to to restore an edge. Mm -hmm. So that's why I'll that's when I'll hollow grind. So it's not like I do it every time I sharpen. Yeah. It's every so often I'll hollow grind just to uh, restore the edge on it. And I have a little, and this is just kind of a beef that I have is I have a little hand because I don't have space for a, a big grinder. So I have a hand cranked four inch wheel grinder that has a, it's a Niagara stone on it. It's called, um, which does a pretty decent job. I think I could use something that was a little coarser and I don't even remember what the Niagara stones were designed for if I'm even using them correctly, but, uh, but that does a pretty, pretty decent job of, uh, hollow grinding. I'm not doing it specifically for a hollow grind. It's more like the grinder takes off material much faster than I could with a diamond stone. And I just don't want to burn through 50 linear feet of sandpaper trying to, you know, grind back something like that. So that's where I'll do it. I'd love to find a four inch convolute wheel, like for you know, instead of a wire wheel for that little grinder, but you just, it's hard to find four inch, four inch grinder wheels or grinding stones even. Yeah. I wonder. Cause I would even like to find, you know, like that white wheel that we have in here Yeah, that cuts yeah. pretty fast. I think it cuts faster than what those Niagara stones cut, but could you fit an angle grinder wheel on it? Like no, because I think the bore size wire. is is different. Okay. I'd have to double check. I'm pretty sure not, but yeah. So, but anyway, yeah, that's what I do. And I found that the lapping fluid that comes with the Titman Edge actually works extremely nicely on oil stones. Because mm. I think sometimes oil stone... You kind of the honing oil that you get is, I mean, it's essentially glorified mineral oil. Let's not kid around with that. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes I feel like that's a little too thick, too syrupy. Mm -hmm. So the um, lapping fluid is much thinner. And I kind of like that on the oil stones. It does a really nice job of, I don't know, keeping the grit suspended so that it doesn't glaze over and you can, it feels like it's cutting better on there. Yeah. You know what? I started switching to in my oil can and maybe that's why I get leakage like I do. Um, I've switched over to vacuum pump oil. It is still a mineral oil, but it is okay. thinner oil. Um, it's definitely more expensive. Um, I have, I'll show you. 
I have this stuff. It is called Super Cool Vacuum Pump Oil. Okay. Um, 68 Viscosity. It's a synthetic non-misting formula that improves vacuum pump performance. Um, but I have switched over to this stuff because it is thinner yeah. than mineral oil. And it seems to work pretty well for for the, the amount I'm using. I mean, I probably bought this a year and a half ago, and you can see how much of it I've used. So right. it doesn't – it lasts a little forever. So. Yeah. I also fill up my vacuum pump with it, though, so there's that. Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, let's close it out here. John, you got anything going on project-wise, design? Oh, what am I designing right now? I just uh, finished up a little entry storage shoe bench thing that Steve is whipping right through the shop this week, so... Yeah, I was kind of surprised on how fast he's made that. Yeah, he's tough to keep up with. So see how that turns out here early next week. And then I've got a tool cabinet i got to do some adjusting on for the next shop notes. So that's what i got going on. We did chose birch for that bench, which Mm -hmm. I think looks really cool because it's not... It's not like you're, you know, it's not like a real blazing white Baltic birch kind of. It's more of a. It's woody. It's natural. Yeah, it's got a nice, nice set of color tones and grain lines to it that is different than, you know, hard maple or Baltic birch or something Mm -hmm. like that. I think it looks really cool. Yeah. I'm going to just see what it looks like after it gets lacquered. Yeah. We we sent that. bench out of the finish room with Colin last week, two weeks ago. Oh yeah. Yeah. And he re- he cleaned it up and resurfaced it. Um, uh, I'm pretty sure that bench is birch. Oh yeah. Which I thought interesting. was interesting. Yeah. Be. Cause I'm like, it's not maple. Yeah. It's definitely not beach. I'm like, birch is the only other thing I can come up with. I mm. think that was a, like a bot top. I think it was like a butcher's block so top. Yeah. So, I'm trying to figure out what it was out of it. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's birch. I feel like that one has been around, like that might have even been moved from the shop when it was in 2200 across. Like it has been in the finish room. Like it was the original bench. Yeah. It might off gas for quite a long time. Yeah. Well, he's, he sanded it down and then he texted me. He was like, Hey, I now, uh, I now appreciate a hand plane. Cause then he took the number <laughs> five record and started, yeah. started hitting it with that. And he's like, this is awesome. I'm like, yeah, heck yeah. yeah. So cool. Mm-hmm. All right. It's transition season here in Iowa, which means one day you could need your winter jacket again. And the next day it's, short sleeves and whatever, or it could be raining or snowing all in the same day. So for that, you need a place to stash your various coats and umbrellas and stuff ready to go close to the door. So the free plan with this episode is a hall tree that uh, we designed. You can park it by the back door, the front door, and it looks great. It even has kind of one of those final checklist mirrors in it so you can make sure that uh, 
you don't have or you do have that really nice wind-blown look before you head out the door. So if you want to check that out, you can go to the show notes page, woodsmith.com slash podcasts, or on our YouTube channel where you can see our happy smiling faces as we're doing this podcast. Special thanks to Tight Bond for sponsoring podcast. They have a wide range of glues to cover all the things that you are doing in your shop. Uh, personally, I'm a liquid hide glue type bond three kind of guy so you want to check those out at tightbond.com we'll see you next week everybody bye